Welcome to episode seven of the Year of Love podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wu. Very excited this day to bring you somebody who is really a magnificent person of a great example of living a life you can love. Chef Aliza Green is a noted chef, traveler, a bon vivant, and author of 15 best-selling books. Chef Aliza, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Allison, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, this podcast is dedicated to building a life you love, and you're certainly a living embodiment of that. Let's start at the beginning and talk about where you built your lifelong love of food and travel. Well, I was lucky enough to uh, get to travel and live abroad from a very young age. My dad was a scientist and took his family with him where, you know, wherever we went. And uh, I was actually trilingual at the age of seven. Uh, we spent a lot of time in Europe, in Israel. I actually started first grade in Israel. I went to kindergarten in Holland. Uh, we spent a lot of time in Mexico and then back to Europe. So really that, uh, that passion for travel and then food came right along with it. Uh, I would also say that I must have had some kind of strong pension because I have such clear, strong memories of food dishes that I ate even way back then. What stands out? So when you think now about the kind of foods you ate, those first food memories usually are so powerful. What stands out for you? A lot of uh, food in Italy. I think the first time I was in Italy, I was maybe six or seven. I remember going to the, it was a pasta store and they had the, it was all wooden cabinets and they had drawers and in the drawers were the different kinds of pasta. So that was, and we would go there to buy our pasta. So it didn't come in a bag or a box, you know, it was wrapped up in paper. Uh, I remember being in the South of Italy, maybe it was Puglia because we were probably going to Brindisi to get the ferry. And it was a you know very poor part of the country and I always loved pasta. Anyway, we ordered a, a pasta dish and it came with like no sauce and uh, realized that, that the sauce was the expensive part. So they couldn't really do that. We actually had to order double, a double order to get enough sauce because we didn't have that. We traveled to, um, we spent a summer in Seattle when I think I was 12. 11 or 12 maybe, and went out to Blake Island where they would have uh, salmon barbecues like on cedar, cedar planks uh, with wild caught salmon. I just thought that salmon was so incredibly good, incredibly good, but all kinds of, especially fruits and vegetables. Remember in Israel, and then I was, again, I was six or seven years old. We, they would have the, we were staying, it was at the Weizmann Institute and we were, they would feed us but at that time, Israel was still quite poor. They would have these meat dishes, very heavy kind of European style, like Eastern European style meat dishes. I hated those meals. But every Saturday night, because they couldn't cook on Saturday, they would bring a whole spread, more Arab style of cut up vegetables and hummus and labne and pita and olives. And I love that. I mean, at six years old, I loved it. I still do. So... That's a few examples. There's many more. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, first of all, I think you are just underscoring such an important point, which is as we think of ourselves as adults and grown-ups, right? Building a life that you can love. 
we have such a big responsibility to the children in our lives, whether your own nieces or nephews, friends, et cetera, to help inculcate these moments that will also give them the inspiration for their future lives that they're building. So thank goodness for your dad being able so broad-minded to, to do that because what an education that is right off the bat. Absolutely. And really from that time, I only really, things that interested me were books. You know, I was a constant reader, books, travel and food. And I'm still really the same, not, not really too much different in the way of the interest. So how did that evolve into becoming a chef? Because at the time, women, this was not a career that most women were thinking of. Women were cooks at home, but you turned this into being a very well-respected professional chef. How did that decision come to pass? You know, doing well in school, but I just wasn't really being, didn't turn me on. I said, well, what do I really love to do? And what do I love to do? What do I do on my own all the time was cook. And, you know, just that was made me happy. So I started doing small scale catering, you know, for people I knew out of my crazy, like ridiculous apartment kitchen um, and reading everything I could do and trying to learn more. And, um, and eventually I started to uh, knock on doors to try to get it. I decided I wanted a restaurant job because I wanted to be able to learn from other people. There's only so much I can do, you know, self-taught. At the time, that was really the first uh, Philadelphia restaurant renaissance, which was uh, in the 70s, starting in the 70s. Uh, there was the Restaurant School of Philadelphia. And I heard, you know, I was knocking on doors and getting laughed out. Oh, you know, what are you? You're a woman. Well, you don't, you know, you don't have a degree or, or this, you're not that, and really not getting too far. But I heard kind of third hand that a couple was going to be opening a restaurant. They were in the first graduating class of the Philadelphia Restaurant School, which was at that time teaching you how to open a storefront restaurant. So I wrote a long letter to them, you know, why they should hire me, and they did. So, you know, like all of us, we all need a break. We all need to get lucky. We all, you know, you make your opportunities, but you also need that, you know, that encouragement. And that's something that we, as more established figures in our fields, can do to help those who are younger, being mentors. Uh, so I was able to get jobs. And then, you know, I did get some breaks. Of course, I worked extremely hard and I was, you know, obsessed about it. And uh, I would say, you know, there was a lot of price to be paid as there is for almost everything. But I got, uh, I landed, I, I started out as a sous chef in a brand new Northern Italian restaurant where Marcella Hazan, this great Italian cookbook author, was our consultant. And there was a falling out with, between the chef and the owner. And they came to me one night and said, do you want to take over? And I said, absolutely not. I, you know, I have no management experience. I can't do this job. It was a place that was, I don't know, there's a staff, a kitchen staff of 20. So everything made from scratch, all the pasta, all the gelato, everything you can think of. And the, the owners, the, they basically convinced me to try. They said they would help me. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. And I stayed there. I was there for six years. And during that time, I studied Italian. I went to Italy every year. And really, you know, that was a big break for me. And I made, you know, big success, uh, four-star reviews. Uh, one of my favorite 
my favorite reviews from that time was a woman from Philadelphia Magazine who wrote the priceless line, Eliza Green could make a snow tire taste good. So <laughs> that, I'd, and then I went on from there to some of the, there were a few very well-known prominent restaurants of the time, Apropos, which was a California style bistro with a wood oven. A California cuisine was coming around. Alice Waters was a big, big influence on me and all the chefs who were out there at the time. I used to go out there and, you know, just drool over the products they had and the, also the freedom they had in the kitchen. Then I was at the White Dog Cafe. Then another stage of life happened after that. How did you balance the demands of running a professional kitchen, which are huge, and having a family? Well, that was very, very difficult for me. I actually started at the White Dog Cafe when my son was four months old. I had a babysitter who would be in a, another room down uh, next to the kitchen, and I would run from the kitchen to that room, nurse him, go back on the line, and go back again. I did that. I mean, I didn't nurse him all that time, but I, I did that kind of schedule working there until he was about two. And then I just decided that I was really, I, I was felt like I was letting everybody down. I was letting him down. I was letting my kitchen staff down. And then I needed to do something else. I had needed to make a switch in my career. Plus then I got pregnant again. So I had a second child. My goal really from the beginning was to write. I always wanted to write, write, you know, for the newspaper, write cookbooks. And so I did have some you know, I did writing for some of the programs, maybe things that weren't exactly, weren't paid, but then eventually, and I had a reputation and I was asked to do a column for the Philadelphia Daily News. So I did that for a few years and that was great because they asked me and then I had other columns, some cooking light, I filled out the Inquirer, um, clean eating. Uh, anyway, they're like um, prevention, so, and then those things led to me being able to do the books. So the first book that I did was uh, with Chef George Perrier, who was the really the French chef in Philadelphia for a good 40 years, Le Becfin. And he knew me as a chef. He respected my work as a chef. He had actually offered me a job. And I struggled very much between going to Apropos, the California place, or going to the French kitchen. And eventually I decided to go California. But nonetheless, it was a big honor for me. There were really no, no women in the kitchen then. So because he knew me as a chef and I was doing writing, he asked me if I would co-author his book. And that book was published in 97. So whatever that is, it's a long time ago. Uh, and uh, it was a wonderful experience for both of us. We were both so motivated. Uh, you know, he wanted a book to show his mother, plus all of his friend, you know, French chefs, they all had their own books. And I really wanted to get my foot in the door and it was a great way to learn. And then from there, I did the Bean Bible that came out in 2000. And so then I did, you know, multiple books in the meantime. But then there was another part of my career, the consulting was one, but then this is kind of about the serendipity part. So uh, not exactly serendipity, but being open to opportunity. And I think that that's you know, so important. Uh, just like I said, I heard about these people that were gonna open a restaurant. So I wrote a letter to them. You know, I didn't just wait around. I went, I acted on it. 
So one day I got a call and somebody said, this person, I don't know where they got my name, said, can you prepare food? I think it was two days later. Uh, we have this uh, author that's going to be on QVC, Shopping Network, uh, selling his book. Can you prepare the food for the camera? And I said, yes. Okay. I said, yes, because you, you say yes. That's, that's the, you know, that's the answer. That's what you do. And even though I had never done anything for television, I, you know, they sent me the book. I went out shopping. I made all these things. And then that basically led to me uh, doing, I don't know, six years worth of uh, food styling, mostly for QVC television, uh, but for other, like for a public television show and some other kinds of shows, uh, television shows also. And um, at one time I was doing hundreds, several hundred shows in a year. I had a full-time assistant. I mean, it was, it was crazy life. Uh, 24 seven live, you know, insane hours, but boy, I learned so much and worked with so many amazing people. And that was one of the things, one of the things that I took away from that experience was being able to think on my feet because live television, you got to be able to make decisions and live with them. And, you know, sometimes you're going to get it wrong, but you just keep going. And I think there were a lot, and you don't, you're not going to have everything you need all the time. So you have to you know, figure it out and come up with a solution. And I think that's something I became very, very good at. So um, food styling allowed me to also keep writing. Uh, you know, it was a good combination of both things. Through your own life of stages and what you've been interested in, though, you've been able to continually evolve by staying open, being curious, mm -hmm. right, about how you you take it to the next place. Is that when you decided to make travel more for, come to the forefront of your own? Yes. Life? I think the first tour I did was in 2011. Uh, and that was to Italy, Marema and Umbria. And then I did, you know, a number of other ones. There were some interruptions going back to working a more full-time job in catering, but also continuing to do the tours. But I've done, uh, 10, I believe, or 10 or 12 now. And I work now with a partner uh, who has an established uh, travel company that's Francois Cornu from Celestial Voyagers. And that's really been helping me because I knew that I had the food part and the, you know, the, the communication part, but I didn't really know as much of the nuts and bolts of the, you know, setting up the, all the logistics and the, how do you do the pricing and who's going to collect the money and Things. So I thought I would concentrate on what, you know, what I do best. And that is where our paths have crossed because I have been on two of your glorious trips. One, the first one to India in 2017 and the second one, most recently, just before the pandemic started in to Israel, which was in, an incredible experience. Just the array of food. I still dream of that. It was a great trip to take. Had we not, we had not no idea that we were going to be in lockdown and, and circumstances where we would not be traveling for so long. So, so great trip yes. to continue my food memories on. So I thank you for that. So my yeah, the farewell trip, <laughs> the, the farewell trip, you know, right, right before COVID. I mean, days before we went into lockdown, we finished that, but that was amazing. And I, I will be returning to Israel with uh, my third tour there in November, which I'm really excited about, you know, obviously COVID, got in the way of the, the expansion of the tour business, you know, but got in the way of everybody. So, you know, we just, we move forward and hopefully, 
you know, 2022, I'm getting ready to go to Sicily in April with, uh, that'll be my first uh, tour of 2022. So April 22nd. And hopefully people have had, because we've been not able to travel as much, people have a huge pent up demand for travel. But I'm going to ask you for those who have been staying at home thinking, "Hmm, should I leave? Should I go? What do you think it is about the power of food to unite people from different places? That's what's so wonderful. Food is such a way of, of bridging cultures and bridging uh, bridging different people from all kinds of places. It's one of the things that I love about travel and food travel. First of all, people that go on culinary tours are automatically deeply interested in the culture of the place that they're going to. Because otherwise they would just, you know, they like we went to India. You could just go to, you could go to India and visit Taj Mahal and visit who knows what other places that are, you know, bucket list kind of places. But what did we do? We had these, remember the cooking class on the rooftop of that woman's house in Delhi, which was just fantastic. Yes. You know, so, and being able to, you know, talk to some of the artisans, being able to, you know, see really exactly how the things are being made. Uh, I think that, and, and some of the, um, the tasting tours that we did, uh, some of the people that we met, the people in the Haveli in Delhi, the old family home, and they had a special dinner that was there. People in um, Lucknow that were, it's kind of a royalty family that had it in their palace and they had this meal for us. So there was there, you know, we were able to really understand the cultures and uh, I think just make these connections. I mean, you sit with somebody at the table and you really, you know, you can make friends that way. And I think we need to have understanding of people in different, they may have different ideas, maybe their politics are different, maybe who knows their belief system, their religion is different, but we still have ways of connecting. And I think that food is a wonderful way of being able to do that. I will say that taking some of these trips with you, they definitely move from being a tourist to really being a traveler and being in the homes mm-hmm. and people live there, you just have an entirely different experience. I remember the woman's um, home who we had that wonderful dinner in Delhi on the rooftop. She'd actually worked at a very large global company and she mm-hmm. actually gave up her job very willingly because she really wanted to return, even though she was very successful in what Westerners would describe as a successful life. She wanted to return to a place where she was actually cooking the foods that her mother had made. And she just found such great joy from it. And it was just wonderful, wonderful to see. One of the things, Aliza, I know that you do on the tours and I remember in Israel and other places, you also celebrate a lot of women chefs who are there working there now. Can you talk a little bit about your commitment to just really showcasing their amazing work today? Yes, I would say that is very important to me. In any place that I see a woman in the kitchen, I'm gonna try to go up to them, talk to them, get introduced, learn what they're doing. Even uh, I did four, four culinary tours to Morocco and there was uh, there's a lot of women in the kitchens there. And that was just such a joy for me to be able to meet them. And even if we didn't, you know, we didn't really have a common language, but we were, you know, we talked the same language because flavors are something that you can cross about, you know, cross connect with. Um, so I feel like, or think about how not just a, a, you know, a woman chef in a restaurant, but we did that 
uh, cooking class in the Druze family home in Israel. And that was fantastic. That woman was from a totally different culture, very different, interesting religion. And the food was wonderful. We sat in their home and we, you know, we cooked together, we blended the spices. And it was just a, you know, real bonding experience. So I, yes, it makes me very happy to see women. And I, of course, I always want to, you know, send them message or go and meet them and thank them for the work that they're doing. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you during the last two years, what have you been cooking and what does a chef make for herself at home? <laughs> Big challenge. I have to tell you to go from cooking for 200 on a regular basis to cooking for one. And uh, so, you know, sometimes I end up eating the same thing too many days in a row, but I'm always trying different things. I always, you know, I post on Facebook, I post on Instagram, I'm sending out a, I have a, actually a monthly uh, mailing newsletter, which I want to tell people about signing up for. Maybe we'll do that at the end. Um, and so I have recipe of the month. So I'm working on that, taking pictures. I've done some videos. I taught some online classes, different courses. So there was a lot of that. Uh, you know, as much as I could do to keep myself stimulated. And, uh, you know, I have uh, some neighbors in my building, you know, so I'll give them taste of this or share what I make. So that's, that's definitely gratifying. I, I do love to, you know, share food. It's not the same to make it for yourself and only yourself. I need an audience. So I, I definitely appreciate uh, when I'm able to do that. I do love the whole, those chefs are just like the rest of us. They make something and you make too much and then you keep eating the same foods all the time. That's what not everything comes out, you know, great all the time. You know, and maybe you're trying it the first time, but well, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm not like that chef that says, oh, this is, this is no good. Into the trash it goes. No, you know, I made it. I'm going to, I'll try to fix it up and do something to make it something reasonably good. But then, you know, next time I'll try it again. Uh, but I think that, you know, you kind of get an idea of watching cooking shows and things like that, that everything comes out perfect all the time. Well, you know, having been that person behind the scenes, uh, you know, well, sure, I had three different batches of it. And I had, you know, if this one didn't work out. I had another one. And then I had a backup besides that because you always had to have that. So it makes it look seamless, but nobody is seen. Nobody's work is seamless. It's a great thing to remember. So before we close, I want to ask you if you had one piece of advice to give to yourself, because obviously when you look back, you have an incredible, not only career, but you continue to grow and, and prosper. But, you know, it's been a lot of work and sometimes a lot of struggle. If you had a piece of advice you wanted to give to your younger self or somebody listening who's also thinking, look, it's a lot of work to build a life I love, what would be that advice? The struggle for self-confidence is always, uh, it's, it's always challenging and particularly for women because you know we're going in often into a situation where people are belittling us uh, you know, our skills are different, uh, maybe, you know, more home style cooking or whatever it is, you know, we're not just, we're not imitation men, we're, we're women, we have our own thing. So being able to have the, you know, the, the confidence that what I had to offer was so valuable that I didn't always believe that. That would be one, that would be definitely something I, I think 
I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think it's it's an always evolving thing. I think the one blessing of getting older every day, um, as we grow further in our own selves, we grow deeper in ourselves and you get that awareness of like, why was I worried about that five years ago, 10 years ago? Why did I care about what people thought about how my hair looked or whatever? It's it's amazing to me when I look back now and I think about some of the things that, you know, were anxiety producing, making me so crazy. And why, why did I care? Was that important? It wasn't important. What's important when you look back, you know, really uh, the, the experiences and the, the, the sharing, the love, the joy, uh, the pleasures, the, uh, the stretching of your abilities, doing things that you thought you never could. Those are things that are going to give you satisfaction. Totally. So where can people catch up with you if they're interested in joining you on one of these fabulous trips or even looking at one of your recipes of the week? What's the best way for people to connect? So the easiest is just to go to my website, which is alizagreen.com. A-L-I-Z-A, and then green like the color, G-R-E-E-N.com. And there's a contact page on there. They could send me a message, uh, sign up for that recipe of the month. And I also sign, send out uh, information about the tours through that, um, through that mailing. And then there's also on the website, there's a culinary tour menu and all of the tours are listed and there's uh, links to be able to register for them. So really, you just need to know my name and you can get in touch with me. Well, you're also, you also have your own Wikipedia page, which is always a fun thing to have. Um, do you visit it yourself? Do you ever go to it? Well, it, it, that's very funny that you say that because my son was here one time and he, I said, you know, if your friends want to know about me, you know, send them to my website. He says, oh, I don't bother with that. I just send them to your Wikipedia page. I said, what Wikipedia page? <laughs> I had no idea. Somebody put it up there. I have no idea who it was. I think they did a really excellent job. And that was a really good feeling to see that there. Really good feeling, I have to say. Probably one of your many, many fans, not just here in Philadelphia, but around the world. Chef, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And just have a a wonderful, wonderful day. Well, thank you, Allison. And here's to a year of love for, for you for us and for everybody who's listening and watching.